Previously on the Grand Sophie, Cecilia and the rest of the Rivenhall family had an eventful day out. The whole household went to visit Marquisa de Villacanas. It is a profound happiness to meet the sister of Sir Horace. To whom the Marquisa is engaged. She and Lady Ombersley decided on a siesta. While the rest of us went for a walk in the Bluebell Woods. When amidst bluebells my Cecilia treads. But on their return, two members of the party were missing. Eugenia and Augustus were still in the Bluebell Wood. They'd been locked in by my brother Hubert. You dreadful boy, what have you done? Only locked them in the wood, that'll teach her. We eventually got them out, thanks to Sophie. Eugenia was incredibly angry. I asked Mr Fornhope if you could climb over the fence. He said he was inspired by the setting, took out his notebook and pencil, and told me to hush. I'm not accustomed to being spoken to in such a fashion. Now back in Barclay Square, most of the family are looking forward to the ball, but Charles has business to attend to. Mama, I'm going down to Ombersley for a few days. Oh, how long will you be away, dear? I'm not sure. There are a few things I have to sort out. Have you spoken to your father? Certainly not. You know he can't be trusted where the estate is concerned. And besides, he never gets up till noon. I'm sure he appreciates the trouble you take. He certainly doesn't show it. He's promised to bring the Duke of York to our party, Charles. Party? The one we're giving for dear Sophie. I trust you'll be back for it. You know I'm no good at dancing, Mama. And as I understood, it was to be a small gathering for a score of people. Well, there'll be a few more than that, Charles. I, I was going to tell you. How many more? Well, we, we thought, dear, perhaps since it's our first party for your cousin, and Horace particularly desired me to launch her upon society, that we should give a set ball, Charles. To be graced by His Royal Highness, the Duke of York. Oh, he'll only drop in for half an hour. It seems he's very well acquainted with Horace. It's really a great honour. So how many persons have you invited to this precious ball? Oh, not above 400. And they're not all come, dear Charles. 400? I needn't ask whose idea this was. And who, ma'am, is going to foot the bill? Uh, why, Sophie. That is to say, your uncle, of course. I promise there'll be no cost to you. If you think I will permit that wretched girl to pay for parties in this house, and you've been mad enough to consent to this scheme... Oh, oh Charles, I, I, I beg you. Um, uh, Pray do not cry, Mama. My spelling salt. I am well aware who I have to thank for this. Mama, guess how many acceptances we've had? How many, Cecilia? Uh, oh, Charles, I didn't see you there. How many? 378. So you can't stop it now. And, Mama, Sophie said that she and Horace held a great reception in Vienna and he warned the police so that they could keep the street clear and told the coachman where to go. Could we not do the same? Uh, I, I dare say. Uh, and we could warn the Link boys to have plenty of torches ready. That's a good idea, Mama. And Sophie said, should we order the champagne from Gunther's with all the rest, or... You may inform your cousin, Cecilia, that the champagne will be provided from our own cellars. Really, Charles? Do you mean it? That's How does it come about that Eugenia has not mentioned this affair to me? Can it be that she hasn't been invited? Well, um... Surely, Charles, you haven't forgotten that Eugenia is officially in mourning for that aunt of hers. If she's told us once, she has told us a dozen times that propriety forbids her to attend any but the most quiet party. This is Sophie's doing. I must say, Mama, that if you were bent on this folly, I would have expected you to send a card to my promised wife. But of course, Charles, of course. It was just a foolish oversight. Though it's perfectly true that Eugenia has told us that while she's in black gloves... Please don't send her a card, Mama! You know she will cast a damper over everything with that long horse's face of... How her. dare well, you! Well, she does! More of Sophie's work, I dare say. So, Mama, be so good as to tell me how you have arranged things with her. Does she give you a draft on my uncle's bank, or what? 
I, I don't exactly know, Charles. I mean, it hasn't been discussed yet. I didn't know myself until just the other day that so many people had been invited. Well, I know, Mama. The bills are all sent to Sophie, and neither you nor Charles need to be troubled with them at all. Thank you. I shall go and talk to Sophie myself. He found his cousin in the small saloon generally known as the Young Ladies' Room, where she was engaged in compiling some kind of list. I am informed, cousin, that my mother is giving a ball in your honour on Tuesday, and that by some extraordinary piece of mismanagement, the bills have been sent to you. Will you be so kind as to give them to me? On your high ropes again, Charles. This is Sir Horace's ball, not my aunt's. There's no mismanagement. Sir Horace is not master in this house, and it is intolerable that you should have persuaded my mother to consent to such a scheme. Give me the bills, if you please. But I do not please. Neither Sir Horace nor you, dear cousin, is the master in this house. I have my uncle Umbersley's consent to do what I have done. You've dared to go behind my back and talk to my father. If I were you, dear Charles, I would go for a nice walk in the park. There is nothing so beneficial to the temper as exercise in the fresh air. I... Cousin, I am in earnest. I cannot and will not tolerate... No one has asked you to tolerate anything at all. If my uncle and aunt are satisfied with my arrangements, what have you to say about them? As I have told you once before, we did very well here before you came to upset us all. Yes, you did. And what you meant, Charles, was that no one dared flout you till I came. You should be grateful to me, or at any rate, Miss Raxton should, for I'm sure you would have made an odious husband before I came to stay. Since you have mentioned her... I should be much obliged if you would refrain from telling my sisters that she has a face like a horse. But that isn't her fault, Charles. She can't help it, which is what I told your sisters, I promise you. I consider Miss Raxton's countenance particularly well-bred. Yes, indeed. For a horse. You're insulting her. Not at all. I'm extremely fond of horses. I... I bid you good day, cousin. When the Tuesday of the ball dawned, it was plain that it would be one of the season's successes. Charles consented to appear, and though he knew he would be outshone by half the male guests, he was quietly pleased when his costume of black satin knee breeches, a white waistcoat, striped stockings, and a coat with very long tails was praised extravagantly by his younger sisters. Sophie looked magnificent, in diamonds and pearls, with her hair so brushed and pomaded it glowed richly chestnut in the candlelight from the dazzling chandeliers. Beside her, Cecilia, her golden hair threaded through with a simple silver ribbon, looked, as her father remarked, like a fairy queen. Even Eugenia, who had consented to attend, wearing discreet lavender crepe, though making it clear she would certainly not dance, complimented both Sophie and Ceci. For the first dance, Charles was honour bound to stand up with his cousin Sophie, while Eugenia smiled graciously from the sidelines. Augustus Fornhope, who was a most beautiful dancer, led Cecilia in the same set, which annoyed Charles considerably. He thought Cecilia should have reserved the opening dance for some more important guest, and he derived no satisfaction from overhearing more than one tribute to the grace and beauty of such an arresting couple. Now, Lord Bromford, 
Remember him? Stolid and florid had decided Sophie was just the wife he needed and called regularly at Barclay Square. Lord Bromford was one of the earliest arrivals at the ball. Sophie had managed to avoid promising him the first dance. And as the second dance was a waltz, of which Lord Bromford, like Eugenia, disapproved, he found himself at her side, watching the dancers. Immoral, I call it. I wouldn't go as far as that, Lord Bromford, though I don't waltz myself. But it cannot be altogether frowned upon now it has been sanctioned at Alma. I never saw it danced when I was at Government House. In Jamaica, don't you know? I envy you your sojourn in that fascinating island. I'm sure it must be one of the most romantic places imaginable. I don't know about romantic, but its medicinal springs have much to recommend them, especially to one such as I, plagued by ailments the doctors don't know how to cure. While Lord Bromford droned on to Eugenia, Sophie, breathless from her energetic dancing, was suddenly accosted by a pleasant-looking gentleman who said with a smile, My friend Sir Vincent promised me an introduction to the grand Sophie, but he's too busy dancing to spare me a thought. Uh, forgive my informality, Miss Stanton Lacey, for I wasn't invited, though Charles assures me that I would have been if I wasn't believed to be laid upon a bed of sickness and pain. Sophie looked at him frankly and liked what she saw. He was in his early thirties, not exactly handsome, but redeemed from the commonplace by a pair of humorous grey eyes. He was above medium height, with a good pair of shoulders and an excellent leg for a riding boot. I shall speak severely to Sir Vincent, sir. I hope your illness wasn't serious. Merely painful and humiliating, ma'am. Would you believe a man of my age could fall victim to a complaint as childish as mumps? Mumps? Then you must be Lord Chalbury. I am. I wish it was not the case that you think of me as the man with mumps, but if sadly it is so... Let us sit down. Uh, may I get you a glass of lemonade? My last dance partner is already doing so. I should like to talk to you. For I've heard a great deal about you, you know. And I have heard a great deal about you, which inspired me with the liveliest desire to meet you. Sir Vincent is a shocking quiz, and I dare say has given you quite a false notion of me. We are in the same boat, ma'am, as you only know me as the man with mumps. <laughs> you are quite right. Ah, I see Cecilia with Mr. Fornhope. I see them too. Things may be a trifle difficult. That I had already realised. I cannot imagine what possessed you, sir, to contract mumps at such a moment. It wasn't done deliberately, I assure you. Nothing could have been more ill-judged. Not ill-judged, unfortunately. Are you a good dancer, sir? N not above the average, ma'am. Certainly not as good as the exquisite young man we are both watching. In that case, I would not, if I were you, ask Cecilia to walk. I have already done so, but your warning is quite unnecessary. She is engaged for every waltz, and also the quadrille. The most I can hope for is to stand up with her in a country dance. Don't do it. To try and talk to someone when you should be concentrating on the steps is fatal, believe me. Who is the Adonis? His name is Augustus Fornhope, and he is a poet. That has an ominous ring. I wish I had a head like a Greek coin. You must understand that half of the young ladies in London are in love with Mr. Fornhope. I can well believe it, but I grudge him only one of his conquests. Before Sophie could respond, she was summoned by her uncle to be presented to the Duke of York. Your Royal Highness, a pleasure to see you again. An immensely fat and genial prince who lavished compliments on both her and Cecilia. Ceci, who hated being the centre of attention, was fanning her burning cheeks when Augustus came upon her. 
You are more beautiful tonight than I had thought possible. Oh, don't! It is insufferably hot in here. Being flushed becomes you. I will take you onto the balcony. There's a bolt, Augustus. Ah, uh, uh, yes. There! Is that better? Ah, oh, yes. What a night. The evening star loves Harbinger. Cecilia, have you lost all sense of propriety? Come into the ballroom at once. How dare you, Charles! What impropriety am I guilty of in seeking some fresh air in the company of my affianced husband? <gasps> this dramatic announcement surprised Augustus as much as it did Cecilia herself. It amazed and infuriated Charles, and also upset Lord Charlbury, who'd been standing close by, among others who saw a scene developing. Lord Charlbury bowed to Cecilia, offered his felicitations, and strode rapidly towards the doors. He was overtaken by Sophie, who asked why he was leaving so early. On being told the reason, she said, Ceci is a goose. Oh, it's all Charles's fault. I can box his ears. Do you ever ride in the park? Do I what? Ride in the park, Lord Charlbury. Certainly I do, but... Then do so tomorrow morning. Not too early, for I dare say I shan't be in bed before four. And now I must go and take part in the next set. At ten, then, and don't fail. The Ombersley Ball was deemed to be one of the best of the season, but that didn't stop Sophie cantering down the row on Salamanca in time to meet Lord Charlbury as arranged at 10 o'clock. Miss Stanton, Lacey, you must be made of iron. I was sure you would still be a bed and asleep. Pooh, do you think me such a poor creature as to be prostrated by one ball, sir? <laughs> May I compliment you on your horse? He is... Yes, yes, he is superb, but we haven't met to talk about horses. Such a kick-up there has been in Berkeley Square. Ceci's little announcement has infuriated her father and upset everyone else, including Augustus. What? Are you saying he doesn't wish to marry her? At some time in the future, perhaps. I danced one waltz with him and showed him what his future would be. Love in a cottage with a dozen children prattling at his knee. Was he appalled at the prospect? Of course he was. But he is very chivalrous and has now made up his mind to an early marriage. For all I know, he may be planning a flight to Gretna Green. What? Have no fear. Cecilia is far too well brought up to consent to such a scandalous thing. Oh, look. There is Lord Bromford on his fat cob. He left the ball at midnight because late hours are injurious to his health. Let's have a gallop, Lord Charlbury, or he will join us and tell us once again all about his time in Jamaica. My God, that horse of yours is capital. I don't know how you hold him. Isn't he too strong? He has charming manners. Now, I assume you wish to marry my cousin. Well, yes. Though, if she considers herself engaged to Mr. Fornhope... She is not engaged to Mr. Fornhope. At least, not officially. Her father, who I presume you asked for leave to address her... That is the usual thing to do, you know. Yes, but then you go and contract mumps. Not on purpose. But consider how it looked to Ceci. She is told by her father that she is to be your wife which is absurdly gothic and ill-judged. And while you are out of the picture, along comes Augustus Fornhope, looking like a prince out of a fairy tale. And what does he do? He writes poems to her. He calls her a nymph and says her eyes put the stars to shame and such stuff. Good grief. Exactly. I dare say you never even thought of calling her a nymph. Can you wonder the poor girl was swept off her feet? I can't write poetry and I'll be dashed. You mustn't attempt to outshine Augustus in that line. 
But you do look like the kind of man who could find one a hackney when it starts to rain. I beg your pardon? Couldn't you? I expect I could, but... Believe me, that's far more important than being able to turn a verse. I also believe that when you invite a party to supper at the piazza, you are not fobbed off with a table and a draft. Decidedly not. Whereas Augustus is precisely the kind of man who waiters serve last. I feel sure I can rely on you to see that everything goes without a hitch when you invite us to the theatre and supper afterwards. Of course, you will have to invite my aunt as well. Oh, for heaven's sake, you can't believe that Cecilia will accept such an invitation from me when she is in love with Mr. Fornhoe. Certainly I can. What is more, you will invite Augustus. That I will not. Then you will be a great gaby. You must understand that Ceci has been driven into announcing that she means to marry Augustus. You were out of action, Augustus was sighing verses to her left eyebrow, and my cousin Charles behaved in the most tyrannical manner, forbidding her to think of Augustus and practically ordering her to marry you. Are you surprised she's made up her mind to do no such thing? So you are advising me not to despair? I would never advise anyone to despair, for I can't bear such poor-spirited conduct. What do you advise me to do? Withdraw your suit. Never! You will call in Berkeley Square this afternoon and you will request a few minutes alone with Cecilia. She won't see me. I wish you wouldn't keep interrupting me, Lord Charlbury. She will see you because I will tell her she owes it to you to do so. When you see her, you will assure her you have no desire to distress her and that you will never mention the matter again. You will be excessively noble while conveying the sense that your heart is broken however well you contrive to conceal it. She will feel that you sympathise with her, and so you will be able to come to Berkeley Square as often as you like. How can I visit in Berkeley Square when she is betrothed to someone else? I'm not going to play the lapdog. You will visit in Berkeley Square to see me. Of course, you cannot suddenly appear to transfer your affections, but you might find an opportunity of telling Ceci how droll and entertaining you think me. You are the most startling female it has ever been my fortune to meet. But will you do as I tell you? Yes, to the best of my poor ability. But I wish I knew what dark scheme you have in your mind. I never do people harm, Lord Chalbury. Pray, don't be afraid of me. And now I must go. Come at about four o'clock, mind. Sophie returned to Barclay Square to find the house in uproar. Lord Ombersley was stamping around, bemoaning the folly, ingratitude and selfishness of daughters. And young Hubert had chosen this moment to let Jacko the monkey escape from the schoolroom. And it was running round the hall, pursued by two footmen, to the great disapproval of Dasset the butler. The din was heard by Charles in the library, who emerged to say angrily, If that damn monkey can't be controlled, it must be got rid of. This caused a storm of protest among the younger members of his family, who accused Hubert of letting Jacko out deliberately. Hubert, whose pocket Jacko had torn before scampering up the curtains, retreated into the background, and Charles walked up to the window and calmly said, Come along now. If everyone will kindly refrain from making any noise or sudden movements. Thank you. Now come along, Jacko. Not going to hurt you. There now, that's it. Come on. Got you. There is some magic in you, Charles, which makes all animals trust you. 
Thank you for capturing Jacko so efficiently. The only magic, cousin, lies in not alarming an already frightened animal. But Hubert had better not allow him to escape again. I promise I won't, Charles. Look what the brute has done to the pocket of my new coat. Serves you right. I trust I shall now be allowed to return to my work in peace. Give me your coat, Hubert. I'll mend it for you. And no more larks. Sophie was a deft needlewoman. And while she was sewing, she also found time to criticise Cecilia for announcing her betrothal to Augustus in the middle of the ball. The result was that when Lord Chalbury, calling promptly at four o'clock, asked to see Cecilia, she found in him her only sympathiser. Please don't look so unhappy, Miss Rivenhall. I promise I haven't come to distress you. That's kind of you. I just want you to know that though my regard for you is unchanged, I understand that you do not return it. And I honour you for having the courage to say so. <laughs> that you should be forced to accept my suit when your heart is given to another is wholly repugnant to me. I beg you to forgive me. I am so sorry your expectations should have been raised. I thank you for, for your chivalry. You'll say no more. I always thought the prize was beyond my reach. May we continue as friends? If there is any way in which I can serve you, will you tell me? That would be happiness indeed. Oh, do not say so. You are so good, too good, and... Ah, sorry to interrupt you, Chalbury. I'm glad to see you, Charles, for I wanted to tell you that your sister and I have agreed that we shall not suit. I'm sorry to hear it. Uh, do you wish me to inform my father there is to be no engagement? <laughs> Chalbury has been kindness personified. That I can believe. I shall leave you now, but I hope I may still visit on terms of friendship. Uh, goodbye. <laughs> if you must be a watering pot, take my handkerchief. <laughs> Are you satisfied now? You couldn't find a better fellow than Chalbury. I believe him to be the finest gentleman of my acquaintance. <laughs> and if I am crying, it is because I am sorry for wounding him. But if my affections are not engaged... I tell you now that father won't consent to you marrying Fawnhope. Because you won't let him consent, Charles. You may be content with a marriage of convenience, but why wish the same on me? It's obvious you're under Sophie's influence. My regard for Eugenia... If you loved her, Charles, you would not talk of your regard for her. It was at this inappropriate moment that the butler ushered Eugenia into the room. Miss Raxton, sir. Causing Cecilia to blush crimson and Charles to say with obvious effort... Uh, Eugenia! Uh, we didn't expect this pleasure. Tell me it isn't so. I was never more shocked in my life than when my brother Alfred told me what happened last night. Your, Your brother, brother Alfred? Alfred? He overheard Cecilia telling you, Charles, that she was engaged to Mr. Fawnhope. And what of Lord Charlbury? I couldn't believe it possible. I don't know what business it is of your brother Alfred's to go running to you with what he overhears. He knows, my dear Charles, that what concerns your family is also my concern. If you will excuse me, I must go to my mother. Well, Charles, I think we know who is to blame for this little episode. I haven't the slightest idea what you mean. Your cousin has many excellent qualities, but I agree with you that she has very little delicacy of mind. I never made such a remark. It doesn't matter. Ever since your dear mother was forced to receive her as a guest in this house, I am conscious of a change in it. Certainly more lively. Oh, it's certainly less peaceful. I cannot but feel that ordered calm has been shattered by Miss Stanton Lacey's wild spirit. Your little sisters are growing quite out of hand. My cousin has been extremely kind to the children and is a great favourite with my mother, whose spirits are much improved by her presence. Have you any errands in this part of town? I have to be in Bond Street in 20 minutes. 
In face of such a comprehensive snub, Eugenia could say no more. Cecilia, meanwhile, had fled not to her mother's room, but to Sophie's, who was turning over a piece of paper that had fallen out of Hubert's coat. What do you think this means, Cecy? It says, Gold Hanger, Bear Alley, Fleet Lane. Never mind that, Sophie. I had the most dreadful interview with Charlbury. I wish you hadn't persuaded me to see him. Why? He behaved so well, with such exquisite sensibility. Don't give it another thought. We should rather think of finding Augustus some genteel occupation. How can you be so heartless? Lord Charbury was so kind. He'll get over it. Ten to one, he'll fall in love with another female before the month is out. I hope so. For his sake. But ruining a man's life isn't a pleasant thing, I can tell you. I might flirt with Charbury myself. I rather liked him. Dare I wear my new straw hat? I don't care which hat you wear! Next time, Sophie meets the mysterious Mr Goldhanger and tests her prowess with her pistol. For more about the podcast, the books of Georgette Heyer, or to subscribe, go to thegrandsophie.co.uk and you can also subscribe on your usual podcast app.